So today we celebrate Good Friday uh, using the words celebrate and good intentionally. Uh, but I think this year, probably more than any other, I and some people have already expressed this to me, and I'm sure you feel somewhat similar, we're feeling the grief and the loss and the anxiety and the uncertainty and the loneliness that would have entailed, been entailed in the first Good Friday that the apostles surely felt that Jesus himself must have felt during uh, this pandemic, during all that's happened with the coronavirus, still being in the midst of it, still kind of waiting, at least here in Chicago, for the worst to hit, as they're predicting. I myself am certainly feeling uh, all of those emotions pretty strongly at different moments throughout the day. And yet, as I've said before, as I said on Ash Wednesday here at UIC, the gospel is always good news. And so I think it's really important for us to ask ourselves, what's good about it today? That's been something that I've been asking myself throughout Lent. What's good about it? And it might be a good question to continue to ask ourselves in the Easter season, up to Pentecost, and maybe even beyond. What I have discovered good about the gospel in the last number of weeks and months, and even years of my life, is that true and authentic Christianity is that which preaches that it's not what we do. It's not what we can do, what we could potentially do better. It's not our good works. It's what God did and what God continues to do for us each and every day and every moment of every day. True and authentic Christianity relies and depends upon God and not upon us. In the good times, that doesn't seem so different. But when we are out of control, when everything seems uncertain, and when things, nothing has turned out the way that we planned, that is somewhat more relieving. Because the one who knows everything knew that this would happen. I think that authentic Christianity also, as Jesus himself taught us, begins with union with God, with communion. And I'm aware that so many are not able to receive communion. They're not able to receive Jesus in the Eucharist right now. But it's a good time to reflect on what, what does that really mean, communion and union? We believe Jesus came to tell us amongst many things. He came to tell us that God is a good father. The first word that came out of his mouth when the apostles asked him how to pray was father. And that God has this crazy desire to be united with us, to be one with us. They say that love makes you crazy and that God is love. And I think that's true, that God is a little crazy. It's not entirely rational for he who needs nothing, who is perfect, to desire to be one and united with us who are far from perfect. And even after giving us everything, even after teaching the apostles, loving them, raising them to a place of fame, to a place of uh, renown and position that they would have never hoped for on their own, they betrayed him. But God still loves us, even at our worst. Siren Kierkegaard, one of my favorite philosophers in his philosophical fragments, says this, and I love this quote, If then 
Unity could not be brought about by an ascent. It must be attempted by a descent. In order for unity to be effected, God must become like this one. He will appear, therefore, as the equal of the lowliest of persons in the form of a servant. It is love that suffers, love that gives all, and is itself destitute. Love does not change the beloved, but changes itself. But this becoming, how difficult it really is, and how like a difficult birth. For it is indeed less terrifying to fall upon one's face while the mountains tremble at the God's voice than to sit with him as his equal. And yet, the God's concern is precisely for us to sit with him in this way. It's a scary thought that God wants us to be united with him, that he wants us to be equal. He doesn't desire servants or slaves. He desires a beloved to be united with. God wants nothing else but our hearts. At the beginning of Lent, we hear the prophets say over and over again, I don't need anything from you. I don't need your fasts. I don't need your praises. I don't need your sacrifices. What I desire is your heart. And then he says, for you to care for the hearts of others. And so this union with God allows us, first and foremost, I think, to accept ourselves for who and where we are, even at our worst. We know today that it wasn't just the bad people in the story who betrayed Jesus, but almost everyone. And yet Jesus still chose them as his friends. He still calls Judas friend. He still, after rising from the dead, the first thing he says to Peter is not, how could you, how dare you? It's peace be with you. And he lets Peter renew his friendship and his love with him. It's a horrible feeling to be betrayed and abandoned. And yet the Lord doesn't hold that against Peter and he doesn't hold it against us. It allows us to accept ourselves. It allows us to accept others for who they are, to love and to serve, and even then to begin to heal them, letting them know that at their worst, they're still loved. I was listening to a podcast that said that empathy, simply listening with empathy, begins to chemically change something in the brain and heal the person emotionally. So if you feel helpless in this time, if there's not much you can do, you can reach out to people and maybe be a listening ear, an empathetic ear, that begins to do some healing for people who are anxious and afraid. The union with God allows us to endure the worst of life, which I think is today's message. It brings us peace in the midst of a world which constantly induces anxiety and fear. The early church was born in the midst of suffering and death. Not just Jesus's, though that's the epitome, but it was born in 300 years of oppression, of torture, and of murder. And yet it grew so rapidly because the early Christians had joy and peace through it all. That even in the worst of death, even being tortured and nailed to a cross and suffering and humiliated and abandoned, Jesus teaches us that we're not alone and that that's not the end. And so we don't have to be afraid, even in the worst of scenarios in this world. None of us wants to suffer, but we're not alone. Today, above all days, the Lord finally teaches us that we don't have to be in control.
If we think that we have to be in control, this life will be a constant struggle. It will be a constant anxiety of losing control. And in the end, we will lose. Because as a professor in seminary once told us, none of us make it out alive. By the end, we all have to give up control, whether we like it or not, whether we choose to or not. But we do have a choice. And the good news of the gospel is that if we surrender control to the one who is in control and who loves us as a father, we will find peace, not just when we die, but beginning here and now. And that changes something huge in our life and in the world. I think that a great form of prayer is simply as a child lifts his hands up to his or her father, asking them to hold them in the midst of anything that they're going through, when they feel alone, when they feel scared, when they're hungry, or simply when they just want to be held. That is what God is inviting us to today. That is what the Lord Jesus taught us, that in the moment when he was most helpless and most out of control, was also the moment he was most powerful, when he had the most control in a sense because he was in the arms of his father. And he taught us to say, Father, into your hands. I put my life, my spirit, my heart, the world. There's two stories that I like to tell often. One is by Chris Stefanik. You guys might have heard me say this before. But his young four or five-year-old son asked him once, Dad, do you love me? He said, yeah, of course I love you. And then his son said, why? And he said, that was a harder question to answer. But he thought about it, and he didn't want to say, because you're good, because he didn't want uh, his son to think that he loved him just when he was good. So finally he said, I love you because you're mine. God loves us for no other reason, not because we're good, not because we're perfect, not because we do things. He loves us because we're his, and we can rest in peace and security in that love, which nothing in this world, especially not suffering and death, as we learn from the cross, can steal from us. The second one is uh, I spent some time at an orphanage. Father Connor spent some time at the same orphanage who's with me here. And when we came back, uh, some of the kids would keep in touch with me via Facebook. And they'd often message me, you must have forgotten me. Even if I wrote them a, a note, relatively recently, they would still preface every note that they wrote with, you must have forgotten me. And it really struck me and almost disturbed me. But I realized that a son or daughter would never say that to a parent who's healthy. A son or daughter would never say to their parent, even if they were gone for a while, if they went on a business trip or they went to travel and they came home after a week or two, I don't think a son or daughter would ever say, like, did you forget me, dad or mom? Usually they'd say, like, what did you bring me? They're expecting something. Or at least they run to the door to receive a hug. A son or daughter does not ever think that their parent, if it's a healthy parent and a good parent, forgot them. God is a good father. We are not orphans. And Jesus told us that in the Gospel of John right before this. He said, I will not leave you orphans. We don't have to wonder, has God forgotten us? And that's really difficult to accept and to believe in a hard time like this when people are suffering and it feels like we've been forgotten. But if you feel that way, I think it's important to cry out to God, to raise your arms up, and to ask him, where are you? 
give God a chance to reply to you, and he will. I invite you this week, this weekend, the Easter weekend, but the week and maybe time after, take some time in quiet. Ask for the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what is it that you're afraid of? What are you grasping onto control in in your life? And after you have an idea of what that might be, and you can admit it, put that into God's hands. Surrender that into God. Surrender your whole heart for the things that you know that you're grasping onto, and even the things you don't. Ask for his spirit to come upon you, and allow yourself to receive the gift of peace that Christ died to give us, and that nothing in this world, not even death itself, can take. Amen.